from Profit Well Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, B-Side, where Patrick Campbell and Neil Desai share their takes on this week's global developments. On this episode, the duo discuss coronavirus's impact on the economy, the downside of virtue signaling, as well as a section on wins and fails in the business world that you won't want to miss. Welcome back, everybody. You got Patrick Campbell here, CEO, founder of ProfitWell. Got Neil Desai, who helps lead a product over here at ProfitWell. And we are back for another episode of Protect the Hustle, the B-Sides. Slow, slow actual news week, but we are heading into the fifth week of coronavirus work from home. Neil, how, how are you holding up, man? How's everything going? Honestly, uh, you know, I'm feeling a little bit. I think the first couple of weeks were You're sort such of a social creature. Right. So you're, you're, you're definitely feeling this. I am. I miss the energy of the office. I miss seeing people. I miss the gym, but you know what? We're all safe. We're healthy. We're going to get through this. Yeah. And this is the only excuse for that haircut right now is, is basically <laughs> no barbering. Right. I know that you know was a what? choice, but shouldn't have been a choice. It is a choice. What about you? I know you travel a lot. How are you doing? Dude, I am basically have not traveled. This is the longest period I've not traveled. I think at five or six years, it has been insane. Jenny and I are oddly getting along so much. Um, I mean, we always get along. We've never really fought. Um, Do you feel better? Yeah. I feel, well, I don't know if I feel better. The travel, because it was such a central part of my life, it oddly made me a lot more organized and had a lot more routine. And so adjusting the routine to like not going anywhere has been... Uh, has been has definitely been an adjustment. I'm glad that my dog knows that I'm a permanent fixture in her life, though, rather than just like this deadbeat dad that shows up every so often. But yeah, I mean, Corona, man, week five, I don't know how long this is going to be able to, to last. I think that uh, the economy is going to start kicking in. And I think that, um, you know, that's going to be some pressure. We're already seeing a bunch of protests um, in Michigan, a couple of other places of people. Yeah. That the governor, I think, went way too far. I mean, maybe, maybe it was the right thing to do. And I am not an epidemiologist, that type of thing, but not allowing people people to garden and you know that type of thing the thing is though like it's better to is isn't this better isn't this a situation where it's better to overreact and underreact well no i think this is a situation where no matter what you do you will be looked at as either vastly underreacting or vastly overreacting so i think when you're shot with that type of a paradigm like you can choose to optimize for you know hey let's like vastly overreact but there's, there's a certain element of common sense, right? And I, I haven't dug into but there's enough. Li- there's lives at stake. I know, but like this is like saying like there's lives at stake. There's also lives at stake with every like percentage point of unemployment that goes up, right? It's not the stat from the big short where 40,000 people die every 1%, but it's thousands of people. Like if 5,000 people die every 1% increase in unemployment, like I know we're not supposed to compare lives, but it's just one of those things that ends up like being that. important to like think about, right? And so yeah. I, I think that my biggest gripe with this whole situation has been, yes, there are lives at stake. Absolutely. We should stay at home. I'm at home. I am social distancing. I'm wearing a mask. I'm doing all these things. And everyone should do that. But I think that it's the lack of framework and it's the lack of like treating people like adults that I think that most people are bothered by because in America Mm. we have this weird thing. Um, and it's not, I mean, it's good and it's bad. It's like, you know, we have such an independence, right. Which is great. And I think that when you say, Hey, we're shutting everything down and there's no end date or there's no like, Hey, we're going to review this date at some point. Or it's like, Hey, you can, I think it was something where you can kayak in Michigan, but you can't go on your fishing boat with your grandson. That was one of the biggest gripes that I saw. Right. And so it's one of those things where like, I, I think that it is, it is not intellectually honest to go, well, there's lives at stake. There's lives at stake every single day. 
yes, there are more lives at stake right now. That's why we need to do everything. And I'm sure I'm going to get someone on Twitter who's just like, you're a monster. How dare <laughs> well, you? My grandmother you. got COVID-19 and everything. And it's, I'm not saying don't, like, don't have work from home. I'm not saying don't have these things. But I am saying that like we have to be intellectually honest about the debate. And that's why I like you know, Gavin Newsom in the West Coast. I think Gavin Newsom's, like, at least from my understanding, I'm not a California resident, has handled this beautifully. I think that Cuomo, New York, those are the two you know, big states that you're hearing from. I think both of them are like, all right, here now here's the framework. Cuomo's doing press conferences every single day. I mean, I think that communication is what people really appreciate is just to, to not be left in the void, right? Is to, to constantly hear from public health officials 100%. and at least be kept updated on what the heck is going on. But notice how the people who have been in states, and this is a giant extrapolation that I don't have enough information for to make this such a claim. So just being very, very aggressively prefacing there. The people who are in states who basically do not have that constant communication or don't have the framework, those are the ones who are protesting. Right. Right. Yeah. Michigan, Minnesota, there's a couple other states where they're not having these daily or they're not having wide daily briefings. Like it's not, you know, Cuomo sitting there with a PowerPoint presentation every day. Um, you know, he pulled out a couple of McKinsey graphs the last <laughs> last week or this week, I should say. Um, but those those are the folks. And, and it's going to be an interesting time. And if we truly cared about lives, which we do, it's going to be the more information, the better the more like solidarity, the more education is going to be super important. Hey, you see 40 people at the dog park like I see on the weekends right now and I avoid it, like talking to people. They put up a bunch of signs here in the dog park, which I thought was great. But it's just like making sure that people get it and they're not like, oh, it's just the flu. And it takes like a framework and it takes like really educating people to get that. Yeah, I, th I think it's the first time, at least for me, you know, I, I've seen the consequence of not having great government communication, right, in, in something so real for me, whether it's work or whether it's even going out and getting groceries. We're definitely feeling the impact for sure. How, how do you think this has affected different businesses, you know, of different types? Yeah, I think, I mean, we've seen this in the data, right? We came out with the ProfitWell Index a few weeks ago, ProfitWell.com slash index to get signed up for that. Uh, I think that we, you know, what we did just for a little coverage here is we basically put together um, all the companies on ProfitWell. We got about 20% of the entire subscription market using it uh, and then just started tracking it almost like a stock index, not only their overall growth, so like their MRR, ARR, uh, but also their new revenue and then their lost revenue. And what we ended up seeing is uh, there was like a two to three week period where everything was freaking out. Massive contraction, mostly in D2C, um, some in B2B, but only for a select few that kind of served D2C customers. And was this right after we started quarantining? This is right after we started working from home. I think quarantining is a very specific state. This was more when we started kind of like getting stuff out. But you saw that, that drop. And then all of a sudden what ended up happening is, um, you know, Basically, new revenue was actually accelerating in a weird way. Churn was going out of control. Uh, and this is all across the board. And then all of a sudden, people kind of got in the last couple of weeks, got into the state of, oh, this is kind of the new normal. So yeah, there's some of us who have budget freezes and all this other fun stuff. And then there's others where they're like, oh, okay, like I'm gonna go back to, I'm gonna go back to work. I'm gonna go back and buy that thing. Um, you know, it seems like the government has acted or reacted in you know, an above average way, if not a, uh, I'm speaking about the stimulus and stuff like that, not about the communication <laughs> from federal government, which has been ugh, like probably, probably good given the circumstances, but not great. And it's a really hard yardstick to judge people on. But 
Yeah, long story short, um, there, there's a bit of recovery going on. Now, in my opinion, um, to be super clear and, and check out the data for yourself, and this is where you'll get the um, that conclusion, I think this is a bit of a surge right now. I think what's going to happen is, is there's going to be a six to eight week period here where everyone is just like, okay, we're back to normal. Maybe we're not spending as much, but we're like kind of doing some things. And I think that there's a chance, and I'm not saying this is definite, but there's a chance that basically we see another down downturn in the data because that's where all the people who haven't made cuts or haven't thought through their frameworks of how they're going to act, that's when they will act is six to eight weeks from now because they're the wait and see rather than decisively making a decision. How do you reconcile the, the flatness with the rapid increase in unemployment? Because it seems like a lot of firms are reacting already by cutting costs, reducing burn, and at least with furloughing and, and laying folks off. So it, it seems odd to me that you know, growth is flat yet. So many folks are cutting costs like that. Well, that's like B2B is a second, second or third order impact. So, sure. you know, again, and, and like there's, there's businesses like we saw in our, yeah, we have the, the class passes of the world and these types of customers, they've definitely taken a hit, but the telephony products and the e-learning products have just gone insane. Right. And so there, there's people mm-hmm. making money here. Um, and there's people who are obviously losing, but those are the ones that are obvious. I think what makes this different is um, most people, unlike like if you think about the, the fundamentals of an economy um, and you think of the U.S. economy specifically, you have two big things that affect the fundamentals of the economy, liquidity and the movement of cash. If consumer sentiment is terrible and liquidity is good. Um, then all of a sudden what ends up happening is it seizes, right? Because the oil isn't moving through the system, right? Now, if liquidity seizes up, it means there's not enough oil. And even if the small cash is moving, the large cash isn't moving that to keep our economy going. Those two fundamentals, with a couple of exceptions, were actually pretty good. They weren't like amazing, but we didn't have a 2008 like credit crisis where the actual like financing cash didn't go through. We didn't have a 1987 or 1929 type crash where the movement stopped. Instead, like the music was going great. And then we just got hit in the face with obviously a global pandemic. And so what's essentially happened is, is the global pandemic has created the situation where there's a lot of people who are like, oh, let's just put the economy in a freezer. Let's just put our business in the freezer. We're going to do some spending and things are going to come back. And we've just never experienced this before, right? So I think the flatness is coming from businesses that are kind of waiting and seeing, and it's just because of the seizing of movement. And that's why it's, you know, the federal government, the state government's job to basically getting out and, you know, spending all this cash um, and putting through the stimulus. And it's not perfect. Like you're expecting the government in four weeks to distribute $350 billion. It's not going to happen. Given that they did it and it's pretty close to being done, like within the next couple of weeks, all the money's actually going to be dispersed. That's amazing at the scale of things that are going, right? But- I think it's one of those things where people are complaining like, oh, people are spending their $1,200 stimulus checks on luxury purses. You see Costco price, price one of their TVs at exactly $1,200. <laughs> right. I, I, I know that this is bad optically, right? But it comes back to, listen, like people are getting money in their hands. That's fantastic. If you like, if I, if I got the stimulus check or I think Jenny's going to get one because she's been unemployed for a little while since we moved we're probably going to donate it. We don't need that money, right? And there's going to be plenty of people to donate. There's plenty of people who are going to buy a luxury purse. There's plenty of people who are going to do things. It's just to get the movement going, right? Now, there's some problems with that. And, you know, this is not an economic podcast, although it's turning into one. But I think that... <laughs> yeah, this is, a, this is a throwback back to my econ 101 class in college. That's right, baby. Everything's economics. But I think that you have to think about, um, you really, really have to think about, like, 
what's what the future is going to hold, which no one can do. That's why economists, they make predictions in the past. That's the old joke in econ departments. And so I think the biggest thing you have to think about is how do we make sure that as we're moving forward, we're reacting to the right data and we're not like freaking out, right? And, and that's really hard to do in a huge, huge economy and, and obviously a huge world. But I think it's one of those things where that's why I think there's going to be a good eight weeks and then all of a sudden there's going to be a bit of a downturn again. Um, and I don't know, like, is that going to you know keep going down? Is that going to be a little blip where it comes back up? Um, mm-hmm. I think that it's safe to say the V-shaped recovery is not going to happen. Um, I think this is moving. Maybe if we had the response like Taiwan or South Korea to like SARS or H1N1, um, I think that might have given us a V-shape. Uh, but now we're just trying to prevent the uh, L-shape. You know, we want the U-shape as quickly as possible. And then people are talking about the W-shape, which is, hey, everything's going to come and then it's going to come back in the fall. But I think social distancing is actually helping, as like Dr. Fauci and the rest of the folks have said. And so I think if we continue doing the basics, it'll be great. No, that, that, that makes a ton of sense. You said, so you, you broke down a lot of things there that I want to dive deep into. One thing you were saying is like some companies are actually doing quite well, given mm. given the circumstances, right? E-learning, telemedicine, et cetera. What do you think about the dynamics of or or even the the, the thinking around companies that are leveraging this crisis yeah. to, to sell more product? How do we feel about that? I think that if you're a purist, you basically are saying, unless you don't market or talk to anyone at any point, you're, 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 you know, that's the only way not to leverage this. Right. Because like there's, there's obviously the terrible human beings who are like, you know, promoting coronavirus, uh, you know, cures and things like that and stuff like that. Like those, those are the people that like, I hope we don't even have to talk about those people because those people just suck. Right. right? We don't even need right. to go there. Right? right. Um, you know, and then there's the people who are changing up their messaging to just be like, Oh yeah, tough times right now or something like that. Is that taking advantage of it just because you're empathizing with the human being across from you on the zoom? Like, no, but I, I do think that, um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a tact here. And I think that when in doubt, don't, I think that's a good piece of <laughs> advice, but I think like you're you, the, the other side of this or the other side of the natural, um, you know, reaction to this is listen, people are craving information. They're craving help. They're craving support. They're craving community. Whenever the times get tough, that's what we do. Nine 11, that's what ended up happening as well. Um, and this is not nine 11. Sorry to make that comparison. I'm actually upset with most people who are comparing like the death counts and things like that. These are two very, very different things, but it's, it's whenever we've had a big crisis in our, in a nation, um, you know, whether it's big, small, medium, like we've all come together. And I think that when you think about that, um, that means that like you should be changing what you're doing and how you're marketing to your customers. You should be writing content to help them. You should be giving support. Um, there's this guy uh, or this company called Push Press. Um, they, they serve gyms. Um, I think that they're, and they're not like enormous. They're not like, you know, huge, huge company, but they're, you know, they're doing well. And obviously all of their customers have been, you know, hit immediately. Dan, in response to all this, changed up all of his content, changed up everything that he was doing. And I get his emails just because I, I think I must have signed up at some point. But every email is like, hey, like, here's a case study of how so-and-so is getting over this. Here's this new resource to help you convert your stuff to online classes. Here's this, here's that. That's helping his business. That's helping his business. It's helping him reduce churn. It's getting him some signups, like, which is insane. But like, it's, it's just one of those things where like, is that taking advantage? What bothers me are the people who are using this and, and you and I like have had many debates about this, people who are using this like in a virtue signaling way. Yeah. Like that's what bothers me. And 
Part of me, I, I'm a big believer in most charitable interpretation. Part of me wants to say, that's fine. They're educating the public. But there's this like personal edification that's been happening um, with some folks, just like everything else. They use it with every other social cause. And obviously, this is a big thing. And this is just an era of social media. But what kind of grinds my gears, if that makes sense, is that basically like, you know, you see people who are like telling a story. And it's like one of those stories that are like on Reddit, like that didn't really happen. But they're like, yeah went to, you know, went and got coffee today, ordered from the POS system, put in 200% for the tip. The guy asked me, are are you sure that wasn't a mistake? And I go, yep, keep it and stay safe. What is that? Yeah. Like, what is that? Or I saw one yesterday where a VC was uh, bragging about how he still pays his cleaning lady um, throughout this time, even though she doesn't come and clean for him. It, it's, That's fa- it just, it and you know what? Like That's, a it's fantastic. It's a good the thing. Acts, it's just, yeah. The acts are so good. It's just like, I don't know. This is why like anonymous donations happen, right? And this is like, you know, we, I'm not going to, I don't want a virtue signal. So I'm not going to tell you what Facundo and I are doing with our cleaners and things like that. But it's, it's just like amazing that you're living in this world where it's like that, that, how did that help? You took up that much breath and that much time. Why couldn't you? Why couldn't you have just like said, "Hey, by the way, it turns out the masks are okay now." Why don't you do that? The mask thing on the Twitter bios, great. That's like that's like normalizing the concept of masks. We know that there's there's been or we we have strong suggestions that there's been like a little bit of an overreaction. To people wearing masks. People think they're like all these other things. Great, normalize it. Great. I'm totally on board with that type of virtue signaling. But this like I'm so good because I do these things for other people. It's just like oh man, I don't love it. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I think it's a broader. We've we've talked about this. I think it's a bigger thing that takes place in our tech and 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 you know community. This has been going on long before COVID. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Like my favorite, my favorite before this was during Me Too. Like people who had never tweeted about helping female founders or or non-white mm. male founders, let's just say, the amount of like, and 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 again, like I try to take most charitable interpretation because it might be like the mass in the Twitter bios. Is it like, is it normalizing it? Is it is it okay to like be like I went out of my way, like you know, hey, when I look at my LinkedIn, if the person's white and they're a male, I just I ignore those 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 uh, you know follows, and instead, I, I anyone who's from a you know non-white male group, I accept those. Like, is it okay to say that? Like, there, there's a whole philosophical discussion on that, and, but maybe it's normalizing it. I just look at it and I'm like, just be a good human. Like, just be a yeah. good human and do right things and. Don't beat your chest about them unless you're like trying to educate people. And I think one of my favorites, uh, Love Pop, um, a Boston company, they recently came out with this article. Um, they do a lot of 3D printing and they basically just changed their entire product line to start 3D printing um, uh, PPE. Like they, they tried oh, to do really? masks. Yes. Tried to do masks, but I guess the material is really hard to get and that's the problem in the, the supply chain. So they started doing shields. Then they're coming up with like gowns and, and all this other stuff that they can do using their equipment. And they came out with this really nice article. And yeah, that's virtue signaling on some level. Hey, we completely changed it to, to print 40,000 PPE uh, shields. Um, but it's 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 like the right way to do it of like, hey, we did this and we thought it was pretty cool. Like, and yes, it's good for the brand. It's taking advantage in some way. I'm sure they're losing money on it, which, you know, whatever, but it helps build their brand up. But that's the type of stuff to do. Don't like, don't talk about paying your cleaning lady. Like, just pay your cleaning lady. No, I think it's a vicious cycle because I think the app, like, 
you know, the more folks that do that, the more it gets other folks to feel compelled to do that, right? And then it's just a never-ending cycle. And I think, I, I think to your point is like, if you're actually trying to educate or change action, then that's one thing. But it's just doing it for the self of, you know, bragging is is not needed. <laughs> well, and that's what that's what kind of sucks about this, right? Because it's it's we don't know. Like they they presu- let's assume best intent. Let's assume they did the thing that they're talking about. If the worst thing they did was kind of tweet in a little bit of a cringy way, like, should we be criticizing it? Like, I don't know. Like, that's where I always come back to. It's like, would I do it? No. But would I judge, should I judge them for it? Probably not because at least they're doing, assuming they're telling the truth, which I I have no reason to believe these people aren't telling the truth. And so I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of fascinating. Yeah, no, no, it is. We'll see how you, you think, I mean, it's hard to make predictions on this stuff, but any end insight? <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. I'm not the guy to ask about that. I think that's, I mean, yeah. I actually, we are, I am the guy and we are the company to ask about that, but I, <laughs> but it's not, uh, I mean, we have the data so we can start to, I, I think that it's, it's less about knowing when the end is. And I think it's more about finding a way to like adjust in almost real time. I think that's a better way to think about things is you know, batten down the hatches for 18 months, 24 months, like with some assumptions about your revenue and, you know, it might get worse. Um, I think it will probably actually get better. Um, but I'm an optimist, even though it doesn't sound like it based on today's episode. You're not, you're an optimist, Patrick. Uh, I'm, you know, what do they say? A cautious optimist or something like that. No, I believe, I, I unfortunately believe in the good in people. And I say, unfortunately, and that's the the sign of it, because I think that, you know, it screwed me before, like, oh, it screwed me is a hard, harsh thing, but I've definitely been taken advantage of in a number of different ways. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I'd, I'd rather live with that mindset than like be a cynic. So I'm more of a skeptic than a cynic, if that makes sense. It's been interesting to see different companies react to this differently, right? You know, ones that, uh, especially ones that haven't benefited as much as some others, right? Whether they had to cut back on their team, you know, have mm. furloughs or layoffs happen. Um, I found it fascinating to, to see the different uh, statements and reactions from different companies that have had to go through that motion. I don't know if you have any thoughts on specifics there. Yeah. Didn't Bird like record a message or what was that? Do you know what happened there? Yeah, it was wild. So they, I mean, they, rec- they had a pre-recorded message that was distributed over like Zoom or something. But what was crazy is that their engineering team wrote a script that restarted everyone's computer and locked them out of everything. Yeah, so it wasn't personal and they were suddenly locked out of everything. And so... Wait, wait, wait. I don't understand. So they they weren't able to get the recording or they... No, no after, the, after the recording. So right after the recording ended, like all of their computers had just restarted and locked, locked them out of everything. Yeah. I don't know. This is, this is what's so interesting about like laying people off, right? Like especially right now, it's like, how do you best do it? You're not you know, above, especially for some companies like Toast in Boston here, um, our heart goes out to you, Toast folks. Um, you know, they, they were at 2,800 people, I think. They had to lay off 1,400. And doing that with compassion and doing that with a level of consideration for everyone, like, I just, just think of the logistics. Like, mm-hmm. you kind of can't not have a group layoff, right? You can't do, like, individual meetings. Um you know, or you might have to follow up with individual meetings. One of the the directors over there that we know, um, he had to lay off 80 people remotely um, in a day. So like, I think wow. there were like 10, 10 minute meetings or something like that. And it's just, whew. I mean, at that point it becomes like just execute, but 
Yeah, I think uh, one that I thought did really, really well, you saw what Carter did, right? I did. I saw they got a lot of, of, of attention for that. I think that the substance was good, right? I think the the, the, the stuff they offered there, the, the, you know, the folks that were leaving three months pay, uh, healthcare for the year, those types of things were really good. That was pretty generic, but I don't know. What what did you think about theirs? You thought it was generic. Again, I, I think what they're doing for their employees is tremendous. So so don't don't get me wrong there, but I think, I don't know, any I think any PR agency that you hire probably wouldn't have come up with something too different from that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Is that a bad thing? No, that's not a bad thing. I just, it, it just got a lot of praise. And maybe that's just because the bar is so low for, for this, yeah, that's right? True. G- given what we've seen. I think what's been interesting is a lot of companies can kind of hide in the pack, right? Because mm-hmm. unless you do something that's a little ridiculous, and I don't know if Bird, what they did was, I don't know enough about it, but I don't know if it was truly ridiculous, but like big target on their back probably. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I didn't see really anything about Toast. I didn't see, I didn't see much. No, like I, I, neither, I knew yeah. about this not through any press, um, but that was a ton of people. Maybe we're being jerks because we're talking <laughs> about it widely. But no, I think it's it's one of those things where I think Carta, I, the thing I've always appreciated about Carta is that they are very open about their process and the frameworks through which they thought. Um, I actually don't think any PR firm would would suggest doing what they did. Because I think a PR firm might have done a release, but I don't. I don't think a PR firm without the right instructions would have suggested, "Hey, be completely open with what happened and all that kind of fun stuff." Because most of the time, the instinct is to no comment, right? Even internally, right? Like I, I appreciate what Carta did because internally, I'm sure um, all of their their team members really, really appreciated sure. like that level of transparency. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. People are craving information, and everyone at home is having you know, reactions to everything that's going on. And so, you know, as much information, as much transparency and as much as you can, you can give is obviously good. And and I think anytime anything like this happens, the, it's the folks that stay are, that are really paying attention and and thinking, right? Like, is, is this how we treat members of the team? Right? Like you said, we want to do it with respect and dignity for, for the folks that, you know, have to be cut. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. All right, cool. So let's uh, let's wrap up here. Let's do some wins and fails. My big win this last week was actually Cisco. Um, so what I thought was pretty fascinating, and, and you're going to see this more and more, that there's companies with really strong balance sheets that can basically support um, small businesses and basically like have them defer payments. So what they did is, and I don't know all the details, but basically they deferred payments for a lot of their customers. Um, I think it's like 95% of payments until 2021. Um, they don't have to pay things for the first three months. And this is a win on two levels. One, like the instinct is like, oh, they're helping the community. That's so fantastic. And that totally is. But the other thing is, is that the thesis that we've been talking about internally and the thesis we've been talking about externally in our content is whoever holds on to the most customers or users at the end of this is going to end up winning. And I think that Cisco obviously has a really, really strong balance sheet and they can basically kind of defer these payments. But I think what's really kind of fascinating is that there's a lot of companies out there, whether you're a Johnny and Jane startup, a mid-market, a pre-IPO, or a public company that can shift things to offering up free plans, buying out their competitor contracts, going after the enterprise incumbent customers. There's a lot of win there by focusing a little bit more on community and focusing a little bit more on helping those folks who are um, who are hurting. 
And obviously you might not be able to, to take all of your customers to zero, like something like a, like a Cisco, but a lot of you out there can make sure that you're basically trying to hold on to as many users and gaining as many users and customers at the end of this, because you want to be that, that person standing at the end of this, who's actually accelerated during this downturn, um, rather than, you know, just kind of been flatlining. That's awesome. That's uh <laughs> yeah. Shout out, shout out Cisco. We don't really hear that, right? We don't really say shout out Cisco that often. That's true. That's true. Um, quick one on my end, uh, for those of you that, that may have seen this, we launched the subscription stimulus package last Let's week go. and, uh, the response to this has just been phenomenal, not only from companies that have been taking advantage of the offers, but we, we now have over 50 partners that have offered up aid in the program. That's wild. So, you know, I just first and foremost want to say thank you to all of our partners who have stepped up, uh, and are, are a part of this program. Uh, and more importantly, you know, I just think it goes to show the amazing community we have in the subscription assess universe that, um, you know, we're able to adapt and, and come together uh, during this hard time to, to provide help to companies that need it. Yeah. And I think what's pretty wild about that is is we've had so many folks who um, have either been down on their luck or, you know, who are accelerating and just needed more help, which I know isn't the, 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 it's not the, that's the champagne problem we don't really want to talk about, but there is that champagne problem that's happening who have been able to be helped. And so, yeah, I think it's pretty wild. And, you know, I, I have also been fascinated by the people who have um, criticized what we're doing. We had a couple of folks on LinkedIn who were like, well, this isn't like you're giving away actually $5 million. That was the first day we, we gave away stimulus of 5 million. They're like, oh, this is just like perceived value of promotions. And I was just like, listen, you know, the first thing we thought of is it would be really nice if we had like $10 million in the bank because we could do some like loans and things like that. Um, but we don't have 10 million in the bank. So what's the next best thing we can do? And yeah, it's just been, it's, it's been funny that no, no good deed goes, uh, I don't know if it's unpunished. We weren't punished, but no good deed, uh, goes uncriticized, which I think is fine. Right. It makes us better. It makes us rethink the things we're doing. Yeah. We adjusted some things based on the feedback, which I think was good. Uh, but Neil, what about a loss? What about a loss? That's a good question. Well, you know what? We, uh, we, we have a lot of companies on ProfitWell that, um, you know, are, are unfortunately affected by, by this crisis and, and especially, uh, our heart goes out to folks in the fitness space, right? So, yeah. um, you know, gyms, uh, software that helps gyms, fitness classes, things of that nature. So not a personal loss per se, but just, uh, a loss for that community, at least in, in the, in the short to medium term, while we can't go outside and enjoy those activities, um, you know, uh, it's going to be tough for those companies to continue, continue growing. My loss this week is actually Quibi. And the reason my loss is Quibi, not because I haven't been enjoying some of the entertaining content on Quibi, but because there is a show, I don't even know what it's called and I haven't found it on Quibi quite yet, so it's a little unfair, but it's it's starring Rachel Brosnahan, who was fantastic in The Marvelous Simpsons, Maisel, House of Cards, a bunch of other shows. She's an Emmy-winning actress. And the show is about her having an obsession with her golden arm. She has a golden arm and some of the acting in this, it's so good, but the writing is so cringeworthy. It's kind of like a 10th grader, like watch Black Mirror and was hired by Quibi um, to basically, you know, write this show, um, you know, because they were like, oh, this is, this is what Black Mirror is. We should write this. But yeah, sure. she's obsessed with her golden arm. She's on her deathbed because the golden arm is infecting her with gold pulmonary something apparently. And basically, um, she wishes to be buried with her golden arm when she dies. And that's like her dying words. And then she has a death scene. Um, at first I thought it was satire when I saw this on Twitter. Um, but it's not. So Quibi for taking an Emmy award winning, fantastic actress, um, in Rachel Brosnahan and then basically making her, 
where an act in golden arm, she must've made so much money um, because <laughs> the material is not fantastic. And if this is a sarcastic satire that I'm just not getting someone, please tell me because um, I hope I'm, I hope I'm wrong in this loss. Wow. That's tough. I'm, I'm all in on Quibi. So I hope they get the show show together. I don't know if I'm all in on Quibi, but I, I am hopeful. Um, I don't know if, you know, short form mobile optimized video is enough of a differentiator. I think the content is ultimately going to be king and queen here. But yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for Quibi. Well, that's our show today. If you want to get more updates, you can go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or sign up directly at protectthehustle.com. And if you want the index data that we reference, go to recurnow.com and sign up right away. But with that, I'm Patrick Campbell. And this is Neil Desai. And have a good rest of the week. This has been a Recur Studios production, the fastest growing subscription network out there. If you find use for this show, subscribe for more like it at ProfitWell.com slash Recur.